All right, good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody today, and I'm glad uh, that we could be together and uh, worship the Lord together. Um, one of the things that I wanted to highlight as well, um, in addition to all that Josh was talking about this morning, is uh, many people were asking what we can practically do um, to help our brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico um, after uh, the devastation that took place with the hurricane there. And uh, prior to relocating to uh, Chicago, several of our uh, church family uh, had a wonderful, wonderful church, Jesus-loving, God-fearing, Bible-believing church um, that was operating in, this, uh, in the region. And there, it's called uh, Calvary Chapel um, Church. And there is actually, they're doing amazing things as we speak right now in the midst of the devastation to believe God to use what was damaging for the island and believe the kingdom of God to come in the midst of it. And so they're um, helping to rebuild homes. They're helping to provide supplies. They're helping to uh, provide food um, for those in need. And there is a link to uh, that church's website um, online um, on our website at secondcitychurch.com. Uh, you can go to that website, and if you'd like to contribute to all of the efforts that are going on um, down there, that's um, a practical way you can do so as well. Uh, I know that whenever something happens that's catastrophic, uh, people immediately want to jump in and uh, f even be the hands and feet to provide a solution. Um, but we were even uh, talking yesterday about the fact that uh, if many of us who have that ambition would go down at a time such as this, we'd end up using the supplies and the shelter and the food that people actually need in this hour. And so what you could do is actually help support the people who are already there on the ground and actually doing the work. And that's the great thing about the body of Christ, right? The body of Christ is worldwide and the body of Christ is moving. Um, even though you're here, you can help vicariously through the efforts of others. And so it's, it's, been, a, it's been a doozy, right? Uh, Texas, Florida, Mexico, you know, the DR, and, um, like, and now Puerto Rico. And so what we, uh, what we want to do is we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so that's an opportunity that you have to do that, okay? A structured way, and we can speak on behalf of those people of God, okay? So there's, a, um, there's an answer to that. So, all right. <clears throat> with that in mind, we're going to continue on uh, with our uh, series called Gifted, uh, God's Tools for Building His Kingdom. And we want to just uh, say that we are excited because not only do we have an opportunity on a Sunday morning uh, to interact with one another and uh, to dive into God's Word together, uh, but then we also have opportunities outside of this, right, uh, where we can take a little bit more time and go into a little bit more depth. I would love to uh, sit down with each one of you and uh, talk through some of these ideas and these scriptural teachings and uh, answer any questions that you might have about these issues, but um, we have only a limited amount of time to do it on a Sunday morning, but the good news is we have community groups and we have opportunities like the spiritual gifts training where you can go a little bit further into depth, and so we encourage you to participate in times like that. Um, but to the best of our ability, we're going to um, talk a little bit more about God's tools for building his kingdom today. And um, what we went through last week was just a brief sort of survey of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, which was not the only place, um, but it was 
one of three main places in the New Testament uh, that God talks about his gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he utilizes for building his kingdom. And um, we try to not only talk about what they are, but um, how they're to be utilized, um, I'm sorry, why they're to be utilized. Um, but today we want to talk about how, okay? So whenever you're trying to go through um, uh, an exercise and growing in your faith and growing in your knowledge of God, the first thing that you have to ask is the questions of what, right? And then the question of how, okay? So if I know what the gifts are, it's Paul instructed us where he said, I don't want you to be ignorant about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or I don't want you to be uninformed about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, meaning that we need to be taught about them through his word. Then after that, he not only says, I want you to be educated about them, but then I, at the end of it, that chapter, he says, I want you to eagerly desire, eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is actually a command just like the rest of the commands of Scripture. It's almost like we pick and choose a lot of times the things that we place um, importance on, but we know that God doesn't mince words, God doesn't waste words. Everything that he says is to be observed and obeyed. And so with that in mind, we want to take that seriously whenever we're talking about not only just what he says to eagerly desire, but then how he says to administer them. And so today we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 13, which picks up where we left off last week. And um, today, if you're taking notes, we're going to go through things in uh, three sections. Number one, we're going to talk about uh, don't be fooled. Uh, number two, <laughs> we're going to talk about doubling down on love. And then number three, we're going to talk about um, <clears throat> um, don't be worried. You missed it. Okay? So number one, number one, don't be fooled. Number two, double down on love. And number three, don't be worried. You missed it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your uh, good goodness towards us. And God, thank you in the midst of a whole lot going on, uh, not just in Chicago, but worldwide right now, uh, in terms of um, trials, in terms of tragedies, in terms of even natural disasters, God, that you're still on your throne. And God, we're asking you that you would allow your church, the church of Jesus Christ, to arise in this hour, uh, that in the midst of pain and suffering, in the midst of lack and the, need, the needs of this world, that God, your church would rise up with your strength Father, with your resources, even with the gifts of the Holy Spirit to do your will, that Jesus might be clearly seen, people might turn to Christ in the midst of crisis, and that, God, you would help people to come to know you more fully in Jesus' name. Help us today. Amen. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have a Bible, please turn there today. 1 Corinthians 13, um, verse 1. Obviously, this is a verse that if you've been to a wedding recently, you probably heard this before. Um, but it was not originally meant for a wedding, okay? It was actually Paul the Apostle talking in the midst of uh, the church, the young church that was being built at the time, and he says, guys, I want you to not only be informed about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I want you to know how to operate in them. And so he begins the discussion that we started, uh, continues the discussion we started last week in this way. He says, if I speak in the tongues, which means languages, of men and of angels, but have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable, Lord help us, or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. All right, so here we go. This is a familiar scripture um, to many of you. I know that if you've read your Bible before, many of you have at least passed through this, right? And you've been like, oh yeah, love. Love, love, love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Okay, um, and what we see is that whenever we're talking about the gifts of God, we need to understand the gifts of God this way. The gifts of God are the tools that God gives us to build his kingdom with supernatural grace, with supernatural grace, meaning whenever we are worshiping God, we have to worship him as he is, not as we'd be comfortable with him being, correct? It's almost like whenever we worship him, it would be easier if he just allowed us to do whatever we want, think whatever we want, act whatever we wanted to, way we wanted to, whenever we wanted to. But the truth is, is if we're serving God, the God of heaven, the God that truly exists, we've got to serve him as Lord. And when we're serving him as he is, that means that he says we need to turn to him in repentance and faith and actually live a life of holiness. Because the Bible says that without holiness, in fact, no one will see the Lord. And so though we would choose the, many times the easier route, we've got to worship him as he truly is if we're to have a right relationship with him. And in the same way, if we're to worship the God of the Bible, we've got to understand that the God of the Bible isn't just a moral figure. He is not just a set of rules and traditions that have been personified somehow in the person of Jesus so that we could somehow be better people in the earth as we ascribe to being Christians. Jesus is a living person. He is alive today, resurrected from the dead. And whenever we're saying that we're Christians serving Jesus, we're serving him as he is. And the God of the Bible is a supernatural God. The God of the Bible from beginning to end, from Genesis in creation through the prophets, speaking by the Spirit of God and predicting the Messiah and things to come, the historic books, all of these are books that are filled with the supernatural power of God. Jesus, when he showed up on the scene, he showed up not just in word but in power. And he said that from this point forward, the kingdom of God is among you. 
that because I've shown up on the earth, I'm not just speaking to you anymore through prophets, but now in these last times, I'm coming and I'm speaking in power. And if you're going to see the Father in heaven, you're going to honor his son Jesus, and that Jesus came with power. In fact, whenever he preached, it said that he preached the good news, which is the gospel, and it said that he preached the good news and drove out demons. Power. That he delivered people who all their lives were under the oppression, meaning the power of the devil, and by his power was setting them free to live differently. He was healing them supernaturally, opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, raising people from the dead. And Jesus lives in power today. Why? Because he went to the cross for our sins, took the penalty on himself, was crucified, and then three days later, according to his predictive word and all the predictive words of the prophets, rose from the dead and lives and reigns in power power today. So God at his, in his very nature is full of power and is supernatural. And if we're going to serve the God of the Bible, not just our, you know, our latest guru or our latest megatrend or our latest self-help book, we're going to serve a real person who is full of power, supernatural power. And then he says that as you're serving me, as you're walking with me, I'm going to distribute my gifts so that you might represent me well. The supernatural gifts of God are his grace, his tools for building his kingdom. But when we read 1 Corinthians 13, we see that love is, as opposed to the grace or the tools, love is the way that these gifts are to be administered. The tools are the gifts, or the gifts, rather, are the tools, and love is the way. Many times, though, whenever we think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, depending on what type of um, background you came from, for instance, me, I did not grow up in the church. For those of you that I don't know yet, I did not grow up in the church, so all of this was foreign to me. I was a little bit skeptical, and in the midst of that, I was concerned about being fooled. But the Bible says, don't be fooled in multiple ways. Don't be fooled. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 12, 31, as we just spoke about, first of all, says that we're to eagerly and earnestly desire the higher gifts. And Paul says, I'll show you the most excellent way. So whenever I hear this exhortation of the higher gifts, the first thing that I was concerned about is, what is there? Is there some sort of hierarchy within the church that I need to ascribe to the really cool gifts the really important ones, and then everybody else who's not, you know, sort of far from God will get the leftovers. Well, as we talked about last week, that's not the heart of God. Whenever we're talking about the higher gifts, or whenever Paul is in here by the Holy Spirit teaching on the higher gifts, he makes it very clear what the higher gifts are. You don't need to be fooled in terms of making comparisons among yourselves, but you do need to understand that the higher gifts are those that build others up in love, while the lesser gifts are for yourself. The higher gifts are those that are actually to be utilized for the benefit of other people. That's why he calls them higher. If you go on past this section in 1 Corinthians 13, you see Paul talking in 1 Corinthians 14 about two particular gifts, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And he says, listen, tongues are for you to build yourself up. 
But prophecy, I want you to eagerly desire prophecy. Why? Because if you begin to prophesy and hear from God and speak on his behalf of word of strengthening, encouragement, or comfort for others, it builds others up. And therefore, even though I'd like all of you to speak in tongues, I would rather, this is what Paul's saying, I'd rather have you prophesy so that you might build the church. And the thing that we need to ascribe to and have a heart for is to eagerly desire gifts that are going to benefit the people sitting to my right and my left in church. It's not a nebulous thing. It's not sort of this far-off, distant thing or this sort of unknown, sort of intangible idea. It's the thing that's going to actually help strengthen the soul or the body of the person you know and love or the person that you might have come across week after week who's trying to serve God wholeheartedly. You haven't gotten to know yet, but they need an encounter from God and from you to be able to run on in the race that he's marked out for them. And the gifts enable you to help them to do it. The higher gifts are the ones that strengthen others in Christ. And the problem with the higher gifts many times is that they're the ones that actually have us depend on God in a way that we're uncomfortable with. It is very easy to ascribe to morality. It is very easy even to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and say, yes, I agree that I need to be patient and kind. I agree that I need to have the fruit of the Spirit working out of my life. And truth be told, even before I was a Christian, I had elements of that in my life. Does anybody remember that? Before you were a Christian or before you were a real Christian, I'll just say it that way because many of you grow up in church and like you, you still need to be born again, but that's okay. Listen, the thing is, it's like before you were a real Christian, you still were able to, and you know plenty of people who don't even ascribe to Jesus who are able to do good things, right? In their own ability or the common, what the Bible like refers to as common grace of God. So that there's not just complete anarchy and destruction in the world while he's waiting to redeem it. There is common grace that enables people to work in certain elements that reflect his character. And people can do that even without depending on him. But when you get into the supernatural gifts of God, there is no walking in a gift of healing without him. There is no prophesying accurately without him. There is no walking in the discernment of spirits or even seeing people demonically delivered without his authority. And so what these things do, why we often put them to the side, is because it provokes us and necessitates a greater proximity in our relationship with Christ that goes beyond just our simple knowledge base. And he says, I want you to eagerly desire them. Why? Because I know left to yourselves, you'll fall into a rut where you're comfortable with that which you can produce on your own. So I'm having to command an eager desiring of the gifts that will build others up, the higher gifts. He says, don't be fooled though. Don't be fooled. There are three things that we need to make sure we're not fooled about. Number one, the gifts of God, according to this 1 Corinthians 13 pastor, um, um, passage, <clears throat> the gifts of God can cause us to be a distraction if used improperly. 
And this is big in the church today, right? People thinking, and this is what Paul had to deal with in Corinthians. They were a spiritually gifted church. They knew the gifts of God were working supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit, but they lacked order. They lacked order in their use of the gifts. And so people were continually becoming caricatures of what it means to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And even today, in the church world today, there are many people who create caricatures of the Holy Spirit because they're living out of order and being a distraction. Why? Because they have the gifts, but they're not walking in the way of love, and therefore they're like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Whenever you have the gifts operating in love, in proper order, what we see is it's like an instrument that is properly placed in harmony in an orchestra. It's not on its own just making noise, um, like clanging and resounding, right? It's not even in the midst of company, the assembled worshipers, and actually just, you know, being highlighted here or there and providing a distraction because people are trying to gain attention for themselves rather than the Lord. But instead, an instrument properly placed within an orchestra helps make beautiful music. And in the time, in the time of the scripture's writing, the gong and the cymbal were also utilized to call people to arms for war. That when it was time to get mobilized, when it was time to actually go and do the things that the king had on his heart to accomplish, in our case, God in heaven, the king of kings and lord of lords, wanting to advance his kingdom, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, whether it be words of knowledge, prophetic words, healings that open up people's hearts, all of a sudden these are calls to arms to advance the kingdom of God. But you can't be fooled. If you're doing it in a disorderly manner, like a clanging gong or a resounding cymbal, it's just going to be distraction. Number two, the gifts of God can cause us to think that we are something in the sight of God or man when we actually are not. When we are actually not. What he says, again, to reiterate, he says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, he says, I am nothing. I am nothing. So first, if I'm doing, operating in the gifts of God in a disorderly manner, I'm a distraction. But then secondly, if I'm doing it without love, then I'm nothing, though I think I am. Love allows prophetic revelation, just using the examples that Paul utilized, to be utilized for the strengthening, encouragement, and comfort of other believers as we look to serve God together. 1 Corinthians 14.3 talks about that. It allows the possessor of knowledge, and this is a big deal. Now let me speak, having been through seminary myself, like let me speak specifically to those who are getting biblical education right now going to biblical training school, okay? It allows the possessor of knowledge to come as a servant, as a servant to those by whom they are surrounded to engender a greater love for Jesus 
and others expressed through obedience to God's holy commands. It does not give you the ability to exalt yourself academically or in your heart over another man or woman. Matter of fact, it allows you to have greater strength to humble yourself and to serve through knowledge. Why? Because that's what the Bible tells us to do. And if you have that knowledge, you're going to live it out. Love motivates those with the gift of faith to do this. Not just go around proclaiming what great faith you have, but it motivates those with the gift of faith to roll up their sleeves in the trenches with those who need mountains moved. Meaning you actually get involved in somebody else's life. You actually avail yourself to hearing what's going on with them, hearing their issues. That's right, you allow yourself to be bothered. You allow yourself to be inconvenienced. That yes, when you look somebody in the eye on a Sunday morning and say, how are you doing today? You actually listen. And if they don't reply with, oh great brother, then that's okay. Because maybe there's a gift of faith rising up in you to roll up your sleeves and cry out in, to heaven on a consistent basis until Jesus moves supernaturally by his hand the obstacles in their life, their marriage, their finances, their relationships. The gift of faith needs to operate in love. Otherwise, it's of no value. And that love means that you're actually availing yourself to those to whom, to whom it's supposed to benefit. The gifts aren't isolated. We're not an island unto ourselves. What matters is being able to, as with Jesus, as we saw him like crucified on the cross, we saw, or at least if we were there in his time, we saw that his blood was spilled on the ground. And ultimately, if you're walking in love in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, your blood's going to be on the ground in the community in which you find yourself. You're not going to just be a pundit making comments or pithy observations about what people should do or could do. Your blood is actually going to be on the ground saying, I'm vested here and love, actually just following in the love of Christ, it means that I am in the same way that this people goes, I go. And if they succeed, I succeed. If they're struggling, I'm struggling. Because we belong to one another and the gifts of the Holy Spirit enable us to walk in love until that happens. And otherwise, our gifts ultimately mean nothing. He says, don't be fooled. Number three, the gifts of God can cause you to think that, here's the point, you will have or deserve a reward that is not truly yours. That you have or deserve a reward that is not truly yours. This is the one that stood out to me most. He said, listen, if I offer my body to the flames and give all that I possess to the poor, right? But have not love, I gain nothing. Isn't that wild? Does that make anybody take a pause and convict anyone? It does me. Because you would have automatically thought, if I do these things, that proves my love. But how many people just show up 
and write a check and say, I'm done. I've done my good deed. How many people just show up even in a seat and say, well, I was here, wasn't I? I'm good. But he says, if you do all of these things but have not love, then you gain nothing. Gain from who? The great rewarder himself, God Almighty, who's coming to judge both the living and the dead, but he's coming with recompense and reward. He says, don't be fooled. You need to double down on love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6, let's read it again. How do we do it? He says, love is patient and kind. What this means is this is my holy checklist. (laughs) This is my holy checklist that if I'm going to walk in the gifts of God or if I'm going to think that I'm even serving God. How about that? Anybody want to serve God in here? Yeah, that's why we're here. Okay, we want to worship God. We want to serve him. But this is my checklist to understand if I'm doing it in a manner that he, not, not we, but he would actually honor. And if I'm doing all of these great things, but I'm not doing it with this motivation, then I've missed it. And ultimately, I've missed him. And as we talked about at the end of our series revealed, we don't want to miss him because ultimately it's going to be about standing with, walking in, and actually rejoicing, celebrating, glorifying him. And he says, if I give away, I'm sorry, let's go to verse 5, please. He says, love is patient and kind. He says, love, (coughs) love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Now, many of us think of this, and we think about this in child rearing, right? But how often is this just applicable in the workplace? Especially high stress, high charge, high value positions, where you're trying to climb this like ladder, right? You're trying to find yourself getting the reward of all of your efforts. And there is an environment that God has placed you in that does not have these things filling the atmosphere. But he actually says, I've placed you there to be the one that changes the atmosphere. I've placed you there to be the salt and the light, to actually preserve that which is decaying in this world and flavor it with heaven. And how you do it is regardless of the environment you find yourself in, whether in the workplace or in the home or in your friendship group, that you are actually a leader who begins to charge and change the environment that you find yourself in. Why? Because you're committed to love. And the grace of God that works the gifts of the Holy Spirit through you will also empower you to live this way. He says, regardless of what everybody else is doing around you, don't just react, don't just respond, but be patient, which means long-suffering. I hate it. It means suffering a long time. That's what the Bible talks about. He says, if you're going to be loving, you're going to be first long-suffering. When the same person comes back to you and they're like nails on a chalkboard, You know what I'm talking about. And it's sort of like, they're like, you know, it's sort of like, okay, just shut up. And then God's like, no, you. And you're like, oh. He says, love is patient and love is kind. 
Some of us just need to say to ourselves, I'm not going to disqualify myself from kindness anymore because it's not my natural temperament. You hear me? Or you've been buffeted by the world too much. Some of you have just gotten ornery in your old age. You know what I'm saying? It's sort of like, yeah, I used to be kind, but you know, now you, you don't know what I've had to deal with. So I just give people what they deserve. <laughs> well, that's not God. He says love is kind. Love is not rude, right? This is a big one that I had to get over. This is rude all the time. Mocking all the time. Sarcastic all the time. Guess what's not funny? Biting sarcasm. It hurts people. Funny to you, not to them. Right? Love is not rude. It does not insist on his way, its way, and I cannot get past this one. Golly, it is not irritable. Can anybody repent with me today? It is not irritable. That means we are not constantly complaining about the very people God has put us in their lives to serve. Family members, co-workers, friends who we think don't deserve it. He said, some of us just need to, including me, repent of our irritability. Got to burn our saddle all the time. Sorry, B. (laughs) Just irritable. Or resentful. Or resentful. Meaning somebody's taking advantage of me and I'm going to hold it against them until they pay. You may not say that overtly, but you feel it. I'm not going to talk to them. Matter of fact, I'm going to cut them with my eyes. (laughs) Resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, or believes, here's another translation says, believes the best about people. That's a big one. Doesn't mean that you're gullible or that you're foolish, believing everything that you're told or comes your way. We're to be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove, is what Jesus said. But you're to give people the opportunity of grace, just like God has given to you and myself. If they've blown it 10 times, 50 times, 60 times over and come back and repent and say, let me have another chance, you give them that chance. Why? Because Ecclesiastes says that as long as a man or woman is living, there is hope. Why? Because the King of kings and Lord of lords spilled his blood in love to provide that hope for them. And he says, love believes the best about people. Before we leave here today, some of us just need to make a list of the people we hold accusation against or hold doubt against, even condemning them before their time, and actually say, I'm going to choose to believe the best about this person. Why? Because if you can do that in a moment, it will, it will force you to pray for them, saying that God alone can do a work in their heart to change them. And instead of just um, like speaking against them, slandering them, gossiping about them, or biting them, you'll begin to pray and intercede that God might do a miracle in them. Family members and friends. 
Because you believe the best and you've borne all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. Love never ends. How often should I do it? (laughs) Well, you should never stop. Don't stop. Okay, so it's like he says this. We need to double down on love. But ultimately, if we can get the love in us and that becomes our checklist through which we operate by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, then we have confidence before him and we don't need to be afraid that we've missed the gifts. And I'm going to say that on two fronts. Number one, thinking that they're no longer available to us today. And then number two, that I, amongst other people, am the only one not deserving of them and God doesn't want to work them in me. Okay? Let's review what he said. Don't worry, you've missed it. He said, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, some people have interpreted this to mean that, well, obviously we have the Bible now, which is perfect. Amen? Amen? Amen. So because we have the perfect sum total of Scripture, we have no more need of the gifts. They were only useful to us until we had the collection of the canonized Scripture, which gives us what we need to know about God in relationship with Him. But if we continue to read, we see that that's not the end of the story. Was that the perfect that he was talking about? He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Everybody say that with me. Face to face. Thank you, three people. All right, so the point is, he says, then we shall see face to face. Isn't that good news? That one day, we won't just be talking about Jesus, we'll see him face to face. Yes. Christians, hello. That's our hope. Yes, thank you, Jen, worship leader. Okay, that is our hope, that we'll see him face to face, right? Paul said this in Corinthians, as long as I'm in the tent of this body, I'm away from the Lord. Doesn't matter how much Holy Spirit I have in me, I'm not fully getting all that he's promised me. It's a deposit guaranteeing what's to come in him, that I might actually see him face to face. But that's not now. He says that's why we have hope. But hope that we have is no hope at all. And then he says, We know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And I don't know any Christian, I don't care who they are, what professor, what guru they are, I don't care what pastor, how big their church is, no one's going to say, I know God fully. I know God, I got it all now. Yep, I read Genesis through Revelation, check, fully known. 
And if they say that, they're in error. Because our God is the eternal, inexhaustible, infinite one who's been revealing himself from creation until this day, and we know it by his word. But until we see him face to face, we don't know him fully. How many people were dating somebody, then got married, then like, whoa, I didn't know that was there. And I love it. Right? That was true of me. I didn't know it about myself. Where did that come from? Well, when we saw each other face to face each morning, then I became known more fully. When we see Jesus face to face, we become more fully aware of who he is. And until that time, until that time, he says, I'm going to give you gifts to make me known. Does that make sense? How do I know I haven't missed my chance to walk in the gifts of God? For, he, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. When we meet God in judgment as Christians, it will be the righteousness of Jesus Christ made available to us in his sacrificial death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. As now on earth we've put our faith in Christ and chosen to love him, we will then bow humbly, seeing Jesus face to face, knowing him fully. No Christian can say that they are walking with God in the body yet, able to see him face to face or know him fully at this point. We have the word of God and the gifts of the Holy Spirit to both prepare us and strengthen us for that time to come. That'll be on the website. Don't worry about that. So if I know they're available to me, me, how do I know my gifts? Last part, three things. Number one, you can find an outlet for your natural skills within and through your church. As an example, Mike and Helen. Is that all right? I'm going to say it. Mike, you know what they were doing last week? They were with the kids. They got producing skills, and the kids were making songs. (laughs) Yeah. When the Bible say, declare to him a new song, sing to him a new song, guess how they were able to do that? Through the skills that are coming out of the people of God, right? Back to church Sunday, you know how it happened? Erica, Katie, getting the word out. Social media, otherwise. You know how like people even come to the church. Josh, putting together websites, right? Natural skills, Putting, the, putting them to use within the context of his kingdom and the church. Lindsay, can I just say this one? Lindsay Hedger, I know she's back there right now. She's using her guitar skills. She teaches my little girl to play worship. Teaches her guitar and now Mercy, sweet Mercy, don't embarrass her, but sweet Mercy was playing worship for the kids back there today using natural skill within the church, right? It's cool. Number two, you pray. You pray and you ask God for the greater supernatural gifts that point people to the truth of Jesus' gospel and build others up in Christ. You pray because he said, eagerly desire them. Well, do you just sit there and be like, boy, I really want to prophesy. I really want to prophesy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> 
no, <laughs> no. You ask God to speak. You ask God for the gift, and guess what? Your heavenly Father says, if your earthly fathers, though they be evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? But it's asking him. And then you come to something like a practicum to learn how to operate in them. Number three, this is a big one. You ask what needs to be done, not just what I want to do. What needs to be done to build his kingdom, not just what I want to do. And let me tell you, he will bring out gifts when you begin asking that question. God gives gifts to meet the needs of his people, his church, his kingdom and world, not just our interests. If you haven't found your gifts, it may be that you're not looking for the actual needs. You don't need to hold out until you see where you prefer to use your skills. That's why some people remain jobless, because they have an idea of themselves and their skills that they're holding out that somebody needs to recognize. So they're going into debt, not paying their bills, saying like, well, I need, a, I need this job. And people are like, no, get a job. Pay your bills, and then in that place, you'll develop the skill that you need to take you to the next level, right? Isn't that what happened with Joseph? He said, somebody needs to recognize me. Okay, you're going to prison. Okay, well, I've got these management skills. Yeah, you're going to manage it for the warden. Well, well, I can interpret dreams. Yeah, you're going to like be forgotten about two years in that prison, and then you can like have those dreams interpreted. How about that? That's Bible. Okay, well. <laughs> and why do we say this? Because Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. A child is only thinking about what they want to do, when they want to do it, and how they want to do it. But a man or a woman is actually grown up and actually thinks about what needs to be done, not what they want to do. And when you're walking in your gifts and love, you're coming with that mentality. Childish thinking causes me to live in that way and not actually think about what mom and dad actually had to do to run a household. You remember that? I don't like this food. This is bland. Well, sorry, you go and work for the salt (laughs) and then it'll be tasty. (laughs) Right? That's what the kids do. They complain about that which they didn't have to do anything to provide. That's that irritability coming out again. Okay, (laughs) right. But the point is, in love, we put childish ways behind us. And I think it's just what JFK was trying to summarize when he said, that's not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. How about this? That's not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. Seems like Bible to me. And finally, commit to doing everything in love and God will make you aware of your gifts that will actually be useful to him, not to, not to your own self-grandized thinking, but to him. 
they'll actually be useful to him in building his church and kingdom. Galatians 5, 6, Paul summarized it this way. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Meaning that cutting off of the flesh, the old habits, the old hearts. He says, what matters is only faith expressing itself through love. If I've got faith, I've got to show it. Expressing it through love. Through his gifts, not only operating in them, but in the manner in which he said to operate in them. Amen? All right, let's worship, go before God, and let's begin a conversation with him. If you need to know your gifts, now's a good time to talk to him. Papa's here and wants to bless his people today. All right.